Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to my second episode of Pulse on Recruitment. Uh, I have a really exciting guest, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, I wanted to thank everybody for listening to the first episode. It, it gained some pretty good traction, and I'm hoping it starts to take off from here. Again, the intent of this is to provide a focus on uh, recruitment in the Kitchener-Waterloo to Toronto kind of corridor. Uh, there's a lot of candidates that look for roles in a very competitive environment here, and also recruiters who are dealing with a very competitive environment. And so I'm hoping this can be an avenue of information exchange for people uh, and hopefully help in some way. So uh, with that said, I am very excited to introduce Vero Saint-Germain to the podcast. Uh, she's been gracious enough to, to join and uh, chat with me about some of her experience um, and again, best practices in recruitment. So welcome, Vero. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me, um, you know, and hats off to you for, uh, for doing what, what you're doing now. So this is great. Thanks. Yeah, very excited to have you. So um, you've got a ton of experience, great experience. Um, so I, I guess the question is, you know, how did you get first started in recruitment and why have you stayed in recruitment? Hmm, that's, um, I find that's a question that um, often comes up. And I would say that, like many, recruitment wasn't something I had thought about as a career or, um, um, you know, is this is something that I was exposed to back when I was working actually at waste management um, many years ago. I was tasked to help the district manager hire a dispatcher back then. And I remember thinking like, wow, that's, that's a pretty cool, you know, that I get to help select who comes in for interviews and, you know, who we get to work with. And then shortly after, um, you know, doing that, I started looking a little bit further into the, you know, this field of work, including HR. And I was really fascinated about the opportunity to, to learn more. Um, and then back then, um, you know, I have three children and I, I was on maternity leave and I started to think about my next career move. And that's when I started applying at BlackBerry. Um, you know, many, many <laughs> were uh, hopeful to, uh, to join this company. Um, so I applied and um, I didn't join the talent team right away, but I was grateful that, you know, after three rounds of layoff, I ended up in the talent, uh, in the global talent acquisition org at, um, at BlackBerry. And then my role then was more about managing the vendor relationships and bringing technical contractor, um, mm. but it only like further developed my, my desire to, uh, to know more. Like I remember looking at or, or, you know, chatting with some of the, the recruiters there. And, um, and I was really curious to, yeah, to know a little bit more about what they, what they were doing. And then eventually as BlackBerry was continuing to, you know, going through their reduction in force or, you know, reducing their workforce, we knew that our turn was coming and probably, you know, layoffs were, um, were approaching and were gonna hit us on the recruitment side. So. That's when I thought about where is it that I wanted to go from here? And I, I wanted to stay in recruitment, but I also had this goal of, of starting a business. I wasn't sure what and how, but I guess being forced to, to leave BlackBerry kind of gave me that little kick I needed to get going. 
And that's when I launched my recruitment agency that was called uh, Bureau Talent Solutions. Mm. Um, and then, you know, it was, it was quite focused and specialized. Like I was actually um, helping local startups hire software engineers. The timing was great. Uh, you know, the Waterloo region was starting to boom as a tech hub. Yeah. And then from there, my, my client base continued to grow. So I, I started to, um, to partner with companies um, in Toronto, Montreal, and then San Francisco, New York. These companies were expanding in the UK and Singapore. So it kind of evolved over time. And, and I guess like to answer your question, like the reason why I stay in recruitment is really like the, the roller coaster feeling and, and the relationship <laughs> that we get to, uh, to build and nurture. Like it's, it's hard, like recruitment is hard. Like, I mean, you, you're in it, yeah, but but it's so rewarding as well, and um, you know that rewarding feeling you get along the way, like on so many levels. It to me just, um, yeah, it it drives me to to continue to to, to kind of push further. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but yeah, you, yeah. Sorry, no. Did you find too that it's you know there's sometimes even in talking to my friends maybe misconceptions about recruitment being. Well, you sit at your desk, you go through resumes and you advise who to bring forward. But in reality, you know, you're out there marketing the company as well. And you're out there working with the hiring managers or maybe an HR business partner to figure out what exactly that, that certain skill set is or that gap is that that hiring manager also needs. And then you get the satisfaction about maybe hunting for that person and finding them. That's kind of the, you know, strategic piece, right? Absolutely. Like the 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 relationship the partnership with the business is really critical um you know the hunting the research the the networking uh it's definitely not um you know sitting at your desk and scrolling through resumes i mean if you can be successful and your company has such a brand that um you can do that yeah <laughs> uh, great for you <laughs> but i doubt um i doubt that you know in the technical world um this would be realistic. Um, yeah. Yeah. You really need the drive to, to dig and, uh, you know, uh, network with, uh, with the talent out there. Yeah. You mentioned something about researching. And so, you know, you and I, uh, I guess kind of in a similar fashion have recently gone through a shift where, um, you know, we're not at our, our company we were recently at and are now, uh, I'm at now Magnet Forensics and just moved from IntelliJoint. I know you're going through a transition too. And uh, I found when I was, you know, presented with the opportunity at Magnet, I found myself doing a lot of research. Um, and and mm -hmm. I get asked from people, you know, often, what type of research should I do when I'm considering an opportunity? And I think, especially when they get reached out to by a recruiter and they're trying to be, you know, persuaded um what advice would you give to job seekers when it comes to that you know research function as they're trying to figure out should i make this move or not mm -hmm. i think it's important to you know to ask yourself what well what are your career goals but what what is it that you enjoy doing mm -hmm. i mean you're you're going to be spending a lot of time um you know doing that so it's important to really identify what kind of motivates you to perform uh, for me, and I think for many, um, mm -hmm. it's the people, like the people that you'll get to work with. The, the product to me is important. Um, the challenges that, that we would be tackling together. Um, I would say those are like the three key factor for me. So I do a lot of research on the company, um, 
you know, their history, the people that are there, the people that I, I will get to, to speak with. Um, you know, if I, the more I can learn about the product, kind of like the, the, the vision, like where is yeah. this heading? Um, those are like, I think those are probably like the main, the main areas that I tend to focus my research on. Yeah. And do you think in tech that that product piece is maybe kind of underrated? I know when I was, I was reached out to about the opportunity at Magnet and when I was learning about it, you know, I was, I was wondering, well, it seemed a bit niche, right? Law enforcement uh, is kind of the main market for Magnet. But then as I learned more about the product, I recognized through talking to people that, oh, there's this huge green space with the corporate environment they're now in. And that kind of really sold me. But um, it was that product piece that actually ended up really persuading me in the end, um, along with the people, like there are multiple different reasons, but that product piece kind of pushed me over the top. Do you find that that really is a, a critical part um, when you are doing that research too? Definitely. Like, and yeah. I find that um, often it's hard to, to really gather that level of information by doing like solely your research. Like yeah. if you have an opportunity to speak with someone at the company and really understand where is it that they're heading because um you know if it's possible for you to sign like an nda you know um to to interview and really dig a little bit deeper mm -hmm. into um yeah what's the opportunities that that they're working towards i think that's kind of what gets exciting yeah for sure um we also were kind of briefly you know mentioning um meeting with various people throughout the recruitment process and uh, another maybe hot topic in recruitment is how many people should a candidate meet with? What, how much is too many? And I'd be curious <laughs> to know your thoughts on, you know, how many interviews is too many? How many people is too many? And, and really, is there a perfect answer? Yeah, I mean, I don't think like there, there's definitely not a one size fit all. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with um, the book the, the hiring success that was written by Jerome, the, the CEO at uh, Smart Recruiters. Mm. And uh, like, I really, like, I, I feel like I'm well aligned with kind of his, um, his strategy, but the idea of making sure one, that you select the right people to be part of the interview process. And I know a lot of companies like, you know, they want to, they want to make sure that they're inclusive. So they want to give everybody an opportunity to have a say on yeah. um, you know, who joins next. But um, I don't think, I don't think it's scalable. So you need to start looking at, you know, the interview hours that is taking out of your team. And, and then for, for the candidates, like the candidate experience needs to always be top of mind when you structure your, your interview. Um, you know, I think, Three to five people um, is, is what I like to what I like to see. You know, I like to structure it where the recruiter screen. So the recruiter is kind of like the person, in my opinion, that really manages the candidate experience all the way yeah. through. Like yeah. really holds the candidates, and um, so that person remains like the main point of contact. But then the cycle is recruiter screen. I like to have the hiring manager, you know, going next um, and does like a little bit of a, a sales pitch, <laughs> I yeah. guess. And um, if it's a technical role, there might be, you know, a technical assi assignment or like some type of take home exercise. And then following that, uh, like a panel and in the panel, including if it's possible a peer, I think that can be a good idea. So that person can really understand like, what is the day-to-day -day gonna look like? Like, what is really this role all about? Yeah. 
Um, so having a peer and then maybe like a cross-function, um, cross-functional member and, uh, and then the final, but, you know, I would try to limit the number of people that, um, that this person get to, gets to meet because I mean, now in this virtual environment, um, you know, people, people need to get the product out the door and they can need to continue to build. So they can't be exactly. spending time, uh, interviewing. And then there's other ways to include them. You know, maybe they're part of the onboarding process. You know, maybe they're that buddy that, um, um, that helps this new hire feels, um, you know, feeling welcome. And so, yeah. Yeah. When I, and, you know, I'm sure you've seen it as well, but the more kind of the more layers you do add to an interview process can lengthen it. And as we all know, if you're dealing with some of the top candidates in this, especially our region here where it's so competitive, you could lose a candidate if it uh, spans too long of a time period, right? Sometimes you have to move quickly. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like you need, um, you know, it's important to have like a structured and consistent interview process so that you can move quickly but again like if i go back to selecting the right people to interview you need to you need to you know build your interview team and making sure that they're capable of making you know smart decisions mm -hmm. uh, so you know that's important even before you start structuring or deciding what the process is going to look like make sure you have the right people in there for sure um, switching gears a little bit, I know, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, these are very important topics and have really, I think, um, become very popular topics recently as well in, in HR and recruitment and rightfully so. I also know that you're, you know, big proponents of them and, and spend some time on it. They're very important to you. So what advice could you give to companies who are trying to better themselves in this area and specifically maybe when it does come to the type of people they hire and bring on board. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I would I would hope that diversity is more than referring to gender diversity, and that's right. why, you know, it's really important to first clarify and educate the you know the team and the organization as to what diversity really means, and and then from there, um, you know, setting goals, making sure that you know. There are goals that are being set and that can be measured. And that way, everybody understands that this is one, you know, this is a priority. And then from there, um, you know, put a strategy in place to achieve these goals. So diversity of skills or industry is important, but diversity brings like in new ideas and experiences, yeah. people can learn from each other. So. So bringing in different ideas and perspective like will lead to better problem solving in my opinion and I think you know research has has shown that so working in diverse teams opens dialogue and promotes creativity and um, so the value of, of diversity is true for for culture as well and uh, actually last week I was um, um, you know attending a, a virtual conference by um, Turing and Darren Murth the the head of remote at um, GitLab was speaking and he said something that really resonated with me. And I think I'm going to use that, you know, going forward, but he said, you know, rather than hiring or, you know, evaluating culture fit, like hire for value fit mm. and then let the employees bringing their culture into work. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah, for sure. And, and I um, kind of along those lines and I have to give credit to my, my former 
manager, Lisa Moore, who, who recently moved on to FAIR, who really what resonated with me with what she was always saying was we're, we're not looking for a culture fit. We're looking for a culture ad. And that's right. always resonated with me where, you know, we don't want the same person, right? We don't want the same type of person in the organization or on a sales team. Often you may have a sales manager who says, get me another, you know, Joe or Jill or whoever. Um, and that, and we should be looking for that diversity, right? We should be looking for who can add to the team in different ways. And um, I think that's probably along the same lines of what you were talking about too. Yeah. I really like that. Another, um, you know, you know, slight shift that I like to, uh, to use instead of looking for must have, like look for must achieves, like what are, mm-hmm. what are these people going or need to achieve in this role in order to, to perform rather than focusing on past experience and must have skills to meet the requirements, like look at must achieve and make sure that the people you bring in will be able to achieve these, um, these goals. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay. Another kind of large topic I was curious to know your your thoughts on especially with the experience you've had at some of the larger companies and growing companies to a a really good size you've had various members of in recruitment on your team right it's it's never Mm -hmm. just been a team of one Um, so I'm, I'm curious to know as you've grown recruitment teams is there a specific focus on a region for somebody and, and a different region for someone else? Is it more based on a business unit? Um, or do you have somebody who's focused specifically on sourcing, someone specifically on um, you know, another function and then kind of up the chain that way? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, resource and capacity planning is always, um, is always a challenge. Um, you know, with, with uh, any organizations, but the way, you know, if we look at the structure of the recruitment or the talent acquisition function, I like to look at it as um, similar to a sales and marketing machine Mm. where, um, you know, and I, and I highly value the power that sourcers can bring, but I'm not saying that you know, we need a source or dedicated for, you know, to every single search that is open. Like, it's really important to look at where, where are the leaks, if any, you know, those gaps, what are the source of hires that, um, you know, that allow us to, to, to bring people and, and then depending, like certain roles may have quality inbounds. And then those areas, you wouldn't necessarily, um, put like a sourcing resource on there because again, you know, the inbound flow is, um, is good enough. Um, but there are, you know, niche searches or roles that, you know, you are constantly going to be looking to hire. Um, this is where like, you need, you need some help to constantly have this pipeline. So, I, you know, the way I see the role of the sourcer is they're, they're the one, you know, doing the research, Um, identifying, you know, candidates that would be a fit, doing the outreach. But then again, like we mentioned earlier, like the the recruiters would be the one managing the candidate experience. So, you know, from recruiter screen all the way to uh, offer and onboarding. But um, when it comes to region, we've done it a couple different ways. So if I refer back to to Terminal, for example, like, Mm -hmm we had it structured where at the beginning, all of our recruiters were in Canada and then all of our sourcers were in the US. And the reason why this was is that 
we wanted to have experienced technical sourcers and and we weren't able necessarily to find that um, in Canada at that time because it it's still like a fairly new concept um, to have someone focusing on sourcing and mm-hmm. research. Um, so we built our team, they were fully remote in the US, um, but then our recruiters would recruit for all markets. And um, when I was at Terminal, so I was uh, supporting the expansion team. And uh, what we would do is every time we would get ready to enter like into a new country, um, I would go and build relationships with technical leaders or founders or, or even like talent acquisition leaders in those markets and trying to gain insight and understand the recruitment culture and then uh-huh. bring them back to the team, um, you know, provide training and making sure that they were equipped to start engaging with candidates in those markets. Um, but then eventually in Mexico, for example, we did, we did hire, um, you know, on the ground resources and we found that it was extremely valuable to have someone because, you know, they come with a network as well, which is yeah. helpful. But, um, but in my opinion, recruiting in Canada versus, you know, Chile, Colombia, Mexico, like it was very similar. Like there were some nuances, but how to approach or engage candidates um, was very similar. So as long as we, we understood the culture, um, we just bring this back, you know, do knowledge transfer. And then, um, and then it's exciting for, for the team as well to, to, you know, to gain that uh, international experience as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a way that we, we structured it. So you would feel that there, so you would, you would find that there were certain countries or maybe regions of the world where the, the recruitment approach needed to be altered or changed um, because of that, the, the recruitment culture in that region. A little bit, like yeah. I, I would say it was more from, um, you know, offer stage was probably where we would see um, different, like we had oh. to adjust the process, but as far as engaging, I mean, there are some countries where, you know, we kind of piloted um, like an outreach, like, so we did a pilot where we used direct emails and then we also at the same time were testing if, you know, we would see a higher response rate with LinkedIn Right. Uh, in, for example, and we found that in certain countries, LinkedIn was much better than direct email. So that was our approach for, um, for those areas. So if you were to pick an alternative to LinkedIn, I mean, we all love it, LinkedIn, and maybe at times some people don't like it as much, but I use it extensively. Um, what, do you have a, a, you know, kind of a secondary go-to outreach platform that, that you'd advise? We, I mean, we've, we've piloted a variety of, um, of yeah. you know, tools. And I think that's, you know, the great things with, um, with sources and recruiters is, um, you know, they come and they have their preferred tools. So, you know, we'll, we'll tend to kind of test them, but we, one that we liked was higher tool. I mean, seek out, um, was a, a, a top one as well that, um, that worked really well and, and offers a lot of, um, of reach across different platforms, you know, including LinkedIn and uh, other social, you know, um, media that you can find these, these profiles. So I think those would be some common ones. We use Jam, really, really love Jam as a, as a messaging platform. And it also tracks the diversity. So, you know, um, you're able to, you know, to keep an eye on 
the diversity, you know, from ethnicity and gender. And I think there was yeah. the third one that they measure, but um, we found that helpful as well. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, that's, that's great, great um, advice and, and uh, yeah, different sources there. Um, and then globally, did you prefer, like, have you preferred some instances where uh, a recruitment firm was brought on board and it just helped? And would you maybe um, do this if there's one-off hiring in, in, you know, some of these countries or have you for the most part avoided using those um, external sources? Yeah, we, um, so when we, when we launched in Mexico, um, at first, we actually partnered with, uh, with an agency, like with a third party on the ground there until, you know, we right. had in-house recruiters and, um, and we've tried a couple, like, I mean, it's, it's really hard. Like you have to, you have to go through like a, a really good vetting process, um, you know, when you're looking to, mm -hmm to partner with, with a recruitment agency there. I mean, we've, we've seen success, but we found that, um, you know, the quality was much better when we had our in-house uh, resource okay. uh, kind of running the process. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, just a couple quick questions to kind of close up, but um, in Kitchener-Waterloo here, especially where I, you know, I'm I'm most familiar with, and I'm sure the same can be said in many other kind of tech hubs around the world. Is you know, there's a lot of companies that get to that maybe you know 50 person mark, and and maybe they haven't used a devoted recruiter yet, but they're looking to bring someone on board and looking to double in size. So now all of a sudden you're adding 50 new people in a role. Do do you have a you know certain metric that you use when it comes to determining how many recruiters? should be devoted to a requisition count? Yeah, again, there is a you know tricky question. The past couple yeah. of weeks I've spoken with a um, good number of companies and that was often the question, oh, like we're looking to hire a hundred people, like how, you know, how many resources do we need? <laughs> yeah. uh, so again, I, I would, um, you know, I wouldn't focus on the raw number but more how this is going to be distributed. You know, do they want in the timeline? Like, do they want to hire 50 within, you know, the next quarter or is it like a yearly target? What are the priorities? You know, where's this growth? You know, what, which business unit are these in? Because again, if it's product and engineering, um, it's going to be a little bit more difficult than if it's, you know, a GNA type of, type of search, for example. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's very hard to just kind of throw a number there unless you, you know, a little bit more, but you know, the headcount planning exercise never stops. And ideally right. recruiting gets engaged early on with, unfortunately, <laughs> we don't see that happening a lot. Like usually yeah. recruitment gets the number once it's approved and they're like, okay, like we've made the decision. This is where we're heading. And um, now you need to find us the people. So if it's possible to kind of find ways to get engaged early on to be able to be proactive, mm -hmm. but, you know, the planning process, you know, that it could look like, you know, setting the vision, like the roadmap, you know, um, doing the prioritization and the sequencing and then organize what you have, like, and then budget for what's missing and then right. start building um, accordingly. But Again, it, it very varies on, um, you know, it depends on, you know, 
which business unit or what the roles are going to look like. Right. And do you also build into the, to the plan um, sort of what maybe isn't in place when it comes to structure or strategy from a, a recruitment perspective? I know for myself, you know, we were building a lot of that out at IntelliJoint while I was hiring for some roles and then COVID kind of hit and we, we didn't really do a lot of hiring, but I was still very busy because there was a lot of that structure to put in place. Let's improve uh, interview strategies and guides and let's, you know, kind of talk to hiring managers about what to say and not to say and um, just just various things, right? How do we improve our careers page or, you know, mm-hmm. evaluate, should we use Glassdoor more and stuff like that? And it took a lot of time up. Do you also evaluate those things um, if a company maybe doesn't have any of that structure because it can be quite time consuming for a recruiter, um, maybe a senior recruiter or talent acquisition person to work on that? Yeah, definitely. Like the the recruitment marketing aspect, um, unfortunately, is often kind of overlooked mm-hmm. um, and and kind of comes later. But I find for um, you know for young or organization or startups that that don't have a brand, like they should really make sure to invest in in that area. And it doesn't necessarily like it, it could be done by by a recruiter. Yeah. But I mean, there's also external firms that um, that can support that. If you you know if you if your marketing team or if you don't have a marketing team, um, that can uh, that can help you kind of navigate that. But I that's definitely one area that I find can be def- helpful mm-hmm. in uh, in bringing those you know the awareness out there, but also um, yeah, attract the talent. Yeah, for sure. I know I had a few trips plan for that got canceled in 2020 yeah. and many people did where I was you know going to try and build relationships with schools in the U.S. because of how much hiring we were going to do down there and looking at my workload there would have been a lot of time spent on the road and those would have been valuable relationships but if I had other recs that were maybe you know in town or whatever that I had to figure out and and finish uh, I was having to figure out how am I going to do all of this right um, obviously things changed but that would have been part of that capacity planning exercise. I'm, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of, um, you know, that was definitely a big adaptation. Like the, yeah, the events that that were planned, or um, even co-op hiring. You know, was completely yeah. different, right? Like the everything went virtual, and and I think some of some of that will remain virtual. So we need we need to find ways to. Um, kind of cut through the noise and, <laughs> and, and adapt. Yeah. On top. Yeah, For sure. Okay. Final question. Uh, I attended an event. Um, <laughs> I think that was ni- 2019, right? And uh, yes. it was fantastic. The Art of Talent Conference that you put on uh, an amazing event. And I was so looking forward to that happening again the next year. And obviously, we all know why that couldn't happen. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm probably joined by many others in wondering, what we can expect in the future. <laughs> well, thanks for uh, thanks for the feedback. Um, yeah, like I I definitely want to run it again. Um, I also believe it was you know a success. And yeah. like most things, it's it was really about the people. Like you know, from the group of volunteers and friends who supported you know this project to the quality of the speaker and the audience, you know, all sharing this desire to learn and, and grow and scale their business. Um, so I'm planning to run it again. If it's not, um, you know, like you said, November, 2020 was supposed to be uh, the second, the yeah. second conference, but 
we had to pause that. So um, I did initiate the planning for Art of Talent 2.0. <laughs> and I'm hopeful, I'm ho hopeful that um, we'll be able to make it, you know, if not late 2021, then early 2022. Like okay. I, I want to make sure that everyone feels safe together. But for sure. I... I did, you know, receive a lot of requests of, you know, asking me if I would do it, if I would do one virtually. And I just wasn't, um, I wasn't interested. It felt like, you know, there was a lot out there already. Um, so I made the decision to just pause and, and now I'm just kind of starting to, uh, um, work on it again. So starting the planning and, um, yeah, I'm excited. I definitely want to do it again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it was, again, a great event. And, um, you know, what's great about this region, too, is recruiters, I think, do kind of help each other out if need be. I mean, we are part of some different Slack groups as well. And so getting together in person, you know, you're, you're helping make connections as well. And there might be a role somebody's trying to fill that, you know, I could help them with as well, if I had seen a really good candidate that might not have been fit for our role. And, I think that's another benefit of being in person, which I think we're all hoping we can get back to. But as you mentioned, obviously, we want to make sure it's safe first to do that. But um, yeah. regardless, that's good news that there's, uh, you know, potential planning there and thinking about that. I'm sure a lot of people are are happy to hear that. So we'll remain hopeful something will happen at some point here, maybe later this year or early next year, as you said. That's right. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, for joining me again. I really hope that this uh, you know podcast gets out there to more people and can be useful. I know the information you just shared uh, helped me and, and it will help many others as well, both candidates looking for positions and also the recruitment professionals. So really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to chatting again soon. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, it was a pleasure <laughs> uh, being on. So looking forward to keeping in touch and supporting each other. For sure. Okay. Thanks, Vero. Thanks.